to our MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halastic, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million and $25 million range. And I can't tell you how important it is for businesses to have a line of credit so they can make an investment in their business or even for unexpected emergencies. I would tell you over those 25 years, almost every single year I've had a line of credit in place. And there have been many times when I said, thank God I had the line of credit in place. And the other thing that I learned was how hard it is to get a line of credit if you're working with a commercial bank or a local bank. It is a challenge. I don't care what credit score you have, how much equity you have, boy, they they still put you through the ringer. And it's the main reason why 12 years ago, my partner and I started Financing Solutions. We just knew that there was a market out there for people who want to cash back a plan. Our line of credit program is easy to get in place, inexpensive when used, and costs nothing to set up, making it a great cash up back, cash back a plan. If you'd like to learn more about our line of credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com. That's F. S as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com, or give us a call at 862-207-4118. Uh, if you apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file. And But just remember, the time to set up a line of credit is before you need it, not when you need it. And considering that doesn't cost anything to set up, it kind of makes a lot of sense. Uh, today, I am very excited to be speaking with Chris Lalo. Lalo Lalo Mia, I, I, I had it right very before when I was talking to Chris, but that, and I, uh, but I kind of got it. Lalo Mia um, uh, from the Trusted Toolbox. Chris is an entrepreneur, author, and change leader. He brings his own unique style to leadership to build a culture of professionalism to the blue-collared work of home renovations. He grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, went to college, and earned his bachelor's and master's degree in mechanical engineering. His path to business ownership was similar to most people's journey to their current position, which is spinning and winding. His first engineering job was at Curtis Wright Flight Systems, making airplane parts. But Chris soon realized he needed to add some other business skills to his resume. So, so Chris joined Accenture and began working with large banks to help them merge, which led him to SunTrust, which Chris transformed the commercial loan operations department. Before the Great Recession, he left the corporate world, and started his own business, the Trusted Toolbox, home repair and projects in 2008. Timing is not Chris's strength, but he survived and grew his business to a multi-dollar, uh, multi-million dollar company. The Trusted Toolbox is about continuous improvement and allowing the artists in the company to show off their talents as they are set up for success. Chris, welcome to today's Entrepreneur Podcast. Hey, looking forward to it. This is great. So, you know, today, um, today's uh, uh, topic, lessons learned from building a business plan, um, uh, is, is, is a great topic. Uh, and I'm going to be a, a big evangelist for you because I do believe in a business plan, but we'll get into what I believe a business plan is really important for. Um, but before I even get there, I want to let you know that like, uh, how long ago, maybe 17 years ago, oh, maybe even more than that. 20 years ago, I had a business coach for nine years and she was excellent. And uh, my business coach, uh, uh, her name was Jamie. Uh, I think five years into uh, 
um, her coaching uh, work, she started a, a separate business coaching contractors. Um, because to be honest with you, they were so bad at business. And it really, uh, they really need needed help. <laughs> they really needed a lot of help on how to run a business. And so is that kind of your specialty? So it's not necessarily my specialty uh, there. I actually left uh, the corporate America world and started my own handyman business and built it to today where we're a handyman remodeling company. Uh, I have learned a lot over those uh, 14 years that I've been running this business about how to bring my white collar experience to the blue collar world. So not necessarily my area of expertise on helping other contractors with business planning or do uh, running a better business. Really, it's been more about helping them understand the importance of customer experience. Oh, so that, so tell me, uh, we usually do it at the end, but let's let's get to it right now. The trusted toolbox. What does the trusted toolbox do? So I guess I would imagine you're trying to get clients to trust you. That's right. So we do, and we're in the metro Atlanta area. We do everything from drywall repair to wood rot repair to fixing those little things around the house, bringing professionalism to the handyman space. Uh, I've got 15 handymen that go out there uh, and do the work in a, one of our marked vans. And I also have a remodeling arm that does bathroom and kitchen remodeling. And we have five project managers there. But I learned uh, to grow the business like anything. You, you brought that up. So is it my area of expertise on how to tell contractors how to run a better business? Uh, I sure have a lot of lessons learned. How about that? Yeah. Uh, so one of the things I would say is that as I've grown this business, as I've I really am in the training business now. I'm not as much in the handyman remodeling business because my guys are out there doing all the work. I've got to sit here in the office and make sure we're running a good, viable business. So training has become a big component of what we do. Gotcha. Good. Well, I'm glad you got, I'm glad you told us. Um, yeah. So, you know, I am one of the few business owners and, biz- and entrepreneurs that really believe in a business plan. And, uh, you know, I, I want to, uh, I mean, some of the listeners know me well already. They, I, I'm in a group of uh, nine business owners through the entrepreneur organization, which I would highly recommend everybody that's out there. And my group has been together for over 20 years. So every month, uh, those nine guys get together for five hours every month and talk about issues. And um, I am the only guy in the group. That who and we've all had multiple businesses. Everybody in the group has been successful. Um, who who has had and believes in a business plan. However, my business plan, what I've learned over the years, it's only one page, and I use it as a working document. So you know, it really is helpful. So tell me about lesson your lessons that you've learned building a business plan. Yeah, I used. Uh... I used the business plan to do two things for me. One, it helped me evaluate opportunities. This wasn't the only idea I had, uh, but I knew I wanted to get out and do something. And I really started to use this business plan uh, for a number of things. And so one, it helped me evaluate the opportunities. Second, when I decided this is the right opportunity for me, I really started to work it out. And mine wasn't one page, uh, but it was a series and it still to this day is a working document for me. And what I did with it is I do what we all need to think about doing. So as you start a business, number one, how do you get people? What makes you unique? What's your marketing strategy? All right. Now you got them coming in. How do you convert them from a prospect and lead to a customer? And then how do you service that customer and all the 
the kind of mundane, boring crap, you know, the accounting and the invoicing and the billing and the collecting and the and then the paying the payroll and doing all the other stuff. What I did was I took each of those sections and I would have just a quick outline. And then I would go find people who were smarter than me about this business and sit down, buy them a cup of coffee or a breakfast or a lunch and ask them specific pointed questions based on the business plan section that I would give them. So I gave them a quick overview because, you know, you're basically asking them to give you stuff for free. And that's what mentors are, right? You're giving consulting for free. Uh, but by doing the business plan that way and asking good detailed questions and being interesting, I got a lot better answers than, oh man, you're going to start a handyman business. Uh, everyone needs a handyman. That's a knock it out of the park one. You don't even have to, you can just fall out of your truck and it'll work. So I, I found I found by asking those questions, I got better detailed answers and it helped me get, kind of develop out and not necessarily make those mistakes before I start a business, but uh, avoid some mistakes that I would have made had I started my own business without doing the business plan. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, and I also think too, like having heard you say that, like, I think there's two types of business plans, honestly. I think there's the one you're talking about where you're evaluating a business to go into. And so you want to make sure you cross your T's and dot your I's. You're going right down the board, making sure you, you cover all the bases. Um, and then the one I was talking about, which is, okay, the business is launched and now, you know, that's the one I've been using a lot. And, uh, but the, the nice thing about, you're right. Uh, when I, you know, I've, I've actually, so give you an idea how many businesses I've started. I said six, I had to be driving in my car the other day and I'm like, I'm like counting up. And I'm like, you know, it's actually been seven. <laughs> I've been saying six, <laughs> right. But I, I was like, oh, whatever. But, um, but you know, every time I've started a business, I've done exactly what you've said, which is, you know, not have a one page strategic plan, have um, a lot of questions that I'll write down and go right down the line. I'll go online typically to try to find someone who's done a template of a really good business plan. Have you created a template for your for clients or for people to really go through, which it would be a good methodology? You know, I, I, I guess I have the working one because I've started two businesses now. Uh, the one I used originally came from SCORE, which is from the Small yeah. Business Administration. Yeah. You know, I walked into the SCORE uh, office in Atlanta, Georgia uh, on my lunch hour while I was still in corporate America. And I had no idea what to expect. And it was really cool. It was I, I got to meet up with a guy who was a retired executive. And he gave me this business plan template and said, yeah, you better go start filling this thing out. And one of the things I think some people hear business plan and they think I'm going for that perfect term paper or that, you know, that that master's thesis of 95 yeah. pages of dots and I's. That's not what it was about. It was about developing it and going through it. It was that working document. It, and I still have it today and I still have it in a little red uh, folder that I keep. But the, the score template in the beginning was a good starting point. So I think my template uh, would be good for somebody who wants to start a handyman business and scale it to the size that I have. Because um, there's all different sizes and shapes for handymen, especially or home remodeling or anything in remodeling. But to grow from what I did to where I've gone uh, to scale, that was the thing where the business plan continually evolves. Yeah. So I went to uh, just to add to a little bit you're saying, um, and I'm looking back at the businesses that, you know, when I was in that phase of, of evaluating a business opportunity. Um, so I went to a three year program at MIT 
that was that was an entrepreneur master's program. Now, let me be clear about this. It is not an MBA. All right. It was a three year program sponsored by Inc. Magazine uh, and MIT and EO Entrepreneur Organization. And you go there, uh, they they select uh, 60 companies who uh, usually are the fastest growing companies in the world and they bring them all together. You got to apply for it. They don't just come get you. And um, and you you meet with these other great business owners um, for one full week of intensive uh, uh, lectures. Just amazing learning experience. Just I loved it. Um, and one of the guys that was a lecturer said to us that the difference. He says he was giving us a presentation. And he says, he's given that presentation. His name is Vern Harnish, who's very well known. But he was giving a presentation and he said, I give the same presentation to people who are managers at companies. And then I give the same presentation to uh, entrepreneurs. He goes, the difference is that the manager will take what I give them and will do it exactly the way I told them to do it. The entrepreneurs take what I give them and make it their own. And they play with it and they add to it and they don't, they subtract from it. They really make it their own. And I think that's really important with the business plan. If you look at the, if, you, if, we're, if, if we were to take the word business plan out and putting uh, like business working document, you know, it might change people's opinions in that, yeah, this is just, you know, a thought document. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think you've hit on a great point. Uh, that well, first of all, uh, I know somebody's gone through that program. He's actually oh. a client of ours in the training institute that I've yeah. started, uh, and he helped him he helped him grow his own business in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, and he he was parroting back a lot of what you just said, but you hit on something I think that a lot of entrepreneurs uh, need to really realize. And if you're a successful entrepreneur, whatever your definition is, pat yourself on the back because you did something. That, that is way harder than even being the CEO of Coca-Cola or the CEO of UPS or Chase Bank or whoever, because you started something from scratch and you did. You had to take somebody's thoughts and other ideas that people give you and you still have to make it your own. And in corporate America, I used to say that I was a realist, but really I was a more of a pessimist because to be in corporate America, you have to toe the line. You have to go where everybody's going. And being an original thought leader in corporate America is a lot of times shut down and you're just told, hey, you were given this lecture, you were given this template, therefore you go implement. Where in the wild world of small business ownership, we get a chance to play around with it. It's a little bit about Plato. And I think you're right. The word business plan, I've said it to other people and like, oh, that's a waste of time. You don't need to do that. I'm like, well, here's how I use it. And everybody says, well, if you're using it like that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I'll tell you the number one objection that I get for people who don't believe in a business plan. What they say is things change too quickly for it to be relevant. So what, how would you answer I would that? counter that back. Yeah, I would counter that back with, I've been at this for 14 years. And part of my business plan, right in there, I said that every year I would sit down and I would look at what went well, what didn't go well. Let's look at the numbers. And then what is your one-year plan? And today with the team that I have, I have 25 employees. I took uh, I took a number of them off-site and we did a strategic planning where I basically took 
my business plan, but I chunked it down into what would look a lot like today's traction document. Here's our three-year goals. Here's our one-year goal. Here are the quarterly rocks. You've got to continually assess and reassess. I say at least on a year basis, I do it. Um, I would say I do it now on a quarterly basis pretty consistently because as a leader who's counting on other people to do work for me, because that's how I got to replicate myself, we get together on a quarterly basis to make sure this is what we said we do. This is what we did. This is what we didn't do. And what's going to change and what do we want to do next quarter? Yeah. And again, I think it comes back to the idea that there really are two types of business plans. There's the business plan to evaluate a business opportunity. And then there's the business plan for uh, for running the business. I mean, I, I tell you, one of the reasons why I like a one page strategic plan for me is because I found in the past when my business plan got too long and too lengthy, I, it stopped started it stopped being less effective. And so by keeping everything um, on one page, I, I actually use a template called um, the one page strategic plan. It's written and done by Vern Harnish, uh, who, who does, does a, a consulting company called Gazelles. And, uh, you know, the, the nice thing about that document, too, is that it comes in Excel and I can add other things to it. Like, it, well, he has it now, but he keeps improving it. And, you know, KPIs, key performance indicators, measurements all those different things. Um, so, uh, so it's, it's, it's always to me very interesting when you take a, someone who's a, who's been in the white collar workforce and as a, like, it was just like your bio and that is applies those principles to a blue collared industry. And so I, you know, I, I know I'll get this out of the way too. You know, there are, there are uh, ri- a lot of r- there are risks associated with opening up a business. I mean, everybody thinks that, and 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 you know, there's it's true. I just think that if you can eliminate some of the risks, then you have a better chance. And to me, building a business plan helps you reduce some of those risks. Do you feel the same way? I do. I, you said uh, you said I take it full circle uh, from where you first started with the the business coach who works with contractors. There's a lot of risk in working with homeowners and in homes, especially because if you think about it, if you're going to start a brick and mortar operation, people have to come to your storefront and you get to control the environment. And in our world, we have to go out and work in people's environment. And for a lot of people, they're number one asset. So it's very personal. So there's a lot of risks in what goes on. And in the business planning process, as I went and talked to a remodeler and I said, okay, these are the target market. This is what I'm going for. And he He's, uh, I got some great feedback in the beginning. He was, you don't want to go for people who have not been in their house. The house isn't at least five years old because that's when things start to break. I'm like, yeah, that's a great point. So I, I really worked on our target uh, avatars, if you will, yeah. for, for that. And so was it a risk? Well, no, but it's it, uh, but it did help me from spending the money in the, and it helped me put the money in the right spot as opposed to spending it in the wrong spot. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you, I, there's another point that I wanted to make in regards to business plans from my experience. And it's really good that we both have experiences in this. Uh, I, so I was working on this business plan um, where um, I was looking at something called travel nurses. Okay. And travel nurses are nurses who work anywhere in the country at a hospital for 13 weeks. So believe it or not, there's 40,000 nurses who actually travel from state to state 
Um, and they'll work at a hospital for at least 13 weeks. And so what my agency did, uh, we ended up going into the business. We did really well with it, but um, we would place those nurses and they would be on our payroll, but they would go work in Hawaii for 13 weeks. And then they go work in Alaska for 13 weeks. And then they go work on an Indian reservation in Arizona for 13 weeks where so, so on and so forth. So before I actually went live, I was building my business plan. I was answering all my questions and I wanted to get a good handle on gross profit margin. So I call up a guy in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who has a travel nurse business. I pick up, I pick up the phone and I said, Chris, I go, you don't know me, but I'm thinking of opening a travel nurse business. And I kind of want to see, um, I'm trying to get this quantified. What is the true gross profit margin in this industry? He's an awesome guy. And he goes, so he goes, why don't you just come out? I'll show you the whole operation, right? So I go out there and I spent two days with him. He shows me everything, open book. Now, why would he do that? Well, because he learned from me too. He made a friend. We weren't, you know, it was a big $13 billion industry. We're both small players. You know, it, it wasn't a big deal. And it actually paid off for him because we actually partnered down the road in something else. So, um, um, anyway, so the point being is um, I go down there, I see his operation, I see his gross profit margin. I thought I could do a better job than he, he did, did, right? I looked at his operation and said, ah, I, I think I can do better. I don't think this gross profit margin is correct, right? Well, you know, you, you know, Chris, uh, you know, when you spend, Chris, a lot of time working on a business plan, you kind of start to believe your own sauce, Right. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. believe that, you know, you spent a lot of time. Maybe you spent six months starting the industry. It's things are starting to line up. It's getting harder to say no. So I'm like, Oh, I, I think I can do much better in this gross profit margin. Well, I did the uh, same thing. Yeah. So guess what happens? I mean, you tell me, what do you think happens? You went out there and probably did half of his gross profit margin <laughs> in the beginning. Well, oh, you're mean. You're I mean. mean. Well, I'm talking about my reality, yeah. <laughs> which is what happened I, it, to me. It wasn't half. I, it was It was a little bit better, but not by much. It was like a 3% better profit margin. And if I had known the profit margin uh, that, that, you know, was going to be that, I probably wouldn't have done the business, honestly. It turns out to be a good business, but... Um, but it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a hard business, but uh, I ended up selling it. Uh, but uh, the, uh, but that's the point is, you know, you, you know, and so my recommendation is get somebody who is a real, I wouldn't say a pessimist, maybe a realist. And you, and you know what I think is a good person for that? An accountant <laughs> or, I agree. or a coach. I think someone who's an outside job and they have to have worked with a business. I, you know, right. I don't like people who are in the corporate world who are giving you advice. They, I, I worked in the corporate for eight and a half years. I worked for Xerox for eight and a half years. And I know, you know, Chris, you worked in a professional environment. All the companies you work for are very good. Um, they don't have a clue about entrepreneurship, you know? No, they, they, you've hit so many great points. Uh, the fact that you just asked somebody in the business already to look and he said, yeah, come on in. I did the same thing with another hand to be in here locally. Mm. He said, can I ask you some questions? I'm like, sure, come on in. And he uh, he said, what about this? He started asking questions about, 
And by then I had figured out my margins were wrong and I got them back to where they need to be. I flipped my computer screen around and showed him my QuickBooks. I showed him everything. Yeah. He's like, I can't believe you did that. I'm like, well, why not? Because yeah. dude, this is really, like you just said, this is a really hard business. Yeah. And if there are people out there doing it as good as me, then it raises all of us. So I think that was excellent what you did. But you also hit on something else. When you become an entrepreneur, your relationship with money changes. When I was in corporate America and W2 and bringing in all those big money, I mean, I was I was bringing in stacks. I mean, I had lots of money. But when it became your own money and it was your own business, your relationship changes and therefore your perspective changes and you get a little bit more, I wouldn't say pessimistic. I'm still a pretty optimistic guy, but you would give somebody some feedback and you, you want that guy giving that poke in the finger because you're doing exactly... You did, you did what I did. I just got really enamored with my business plan going, oh, you're right, man. This is a can't miss opportunity. I'm going to I'm gonna kill it. I'm going to break even in 16 months. Of course, I started right when the recession hit. So, uh, And I was not charging correctly. I didn't know my numbers as well as I should have. So that's why I wasn't being mean to you. I was telling you those were my own screw-ups. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, every 10 years, if you've been in business, every 10 years, be ready for a major recession. Just be ready. You'll see how good a business person you are. You'll see how good your business is when, if you can survive a recession, right? Because, you know, over, over 25 plus years, I've gone through three major recessions and boy, they are rough, you know? Yeah. I, in yeah. general, three major yeah. ones. No. Um, so, you know, and I did it, you know, actually going back, I just, it's, just because someone says no, you're gonna you're always gonna find people who are gonna say no. I'm not sharing that information with you. Like I had one guy like that. He says, "Why would I give you that information?" And he hung up. Right, in essence, right. But then I had another guy in Florida that I became really great friends with. I mean, we went we went on vacation together with our wives. I mean, and he's still a good friend. And he, his company went from he was a forty million dollar company that brought it to eighty million and sold it. Right. And I got to 11 million. Right. And so we're, we're not talking about small potatoes here, you know, so, you know. Yeah, um, those are those are some pretty good sized uh, companies. And, you know, the other thing that you find is that you're right. People will say no, but why not ask? And I was afraid to ask because in corporate America, if you gave somebody a great idea, you were afraid they were going to steal it. And what you find out now and you find it out through your EO groups and everything else you're doing is that. We all have ideas and I don't need to go steal yours because I'm still trying to figure out how to execute my own. Uh, and there's plenty to go around with everybody, that theory of abundance. Yeah. You also don't need to share everything about your idea. I mean, maybe you do, maybe you're lucky enough to come up with an idea that someone hasn't thought of. And believe me, if someone hasn't tried to implement it, um, there's something wrong, right? We all know that, right? If you're a business person and you, and you, and you're looking for that, that really idea that nobody else thought of, let me tell you, you better do a lot of due diligence because I bet you someone thought of it. They implemented it and they found a problem. They found a problem that 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 they couldn't make it work. So I agree with you. You know, yep. there's not I'm not saying it happens all the time, but um, because I, I I my business, I have a business partner with the two of the businesses I have right now who's unbelievably fantastic. And and he and he always says to me that I'm looking for that magic business which nobody else has done, you know, and, uh, and uh, he doesn't believe it's out there. So, 
That's what I've said. I said my, my next business idea is going to have no customers and no employees. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> Just can't have that either. Well, yeah, you know what? Um, the two businesses I run right now um, are uh, almost no employees. And they're, $25 million, and they're $25 million companies, each one of them. And so, you know, that was one of the criteria before we got into these two businesses that we're in. It was really no employees or very little staff. And because uh, we both had had prior businesses that, you know, my business partner had, had 110 employees. I had had 100 employees. And with a lot of employees comes complexity. And so, you know, when we were looking for businesses, we were ready to go into, we were already experienced at this. And so that was one of the things. And we would knock out a business that we said, nope, too many employees, you know, and, yeah, I think if I could, uh, if I could get in on that one. So in the home repair and remodeling yeah. business, if, if I could get robots to fix drywall and uh, remodel a bathroom, I would. But in our case, we do have to work with the people. You do. You're working uh, up and down the entire scale from uh, people who are salt of the earth uh, all the way up to professionals and people in their houses. So, yeah. So that's why I always make the joke that if I could get rid of the customers and the employees, it had to be both. Oh, yeah. But yeah, but. Um, but yeah, no, your business, I, I'm actually sitting there going, man, I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's always jealous of someone else's business, but it, you right. know, it is, um, it is a, a complicated business that I'm in for the finance solutions business. Um, because, you know, honestly, we're making a lot of gut decisions. Uh, it's different when you, I know you came from the bank, uh, a little bit from the banking industry, you know, they're, they're looking at, you know, all right, do you have enough collateral to back up the loan? <laughs> You know, I mean, we're un unsecured. So, you know, we're making a lot of gut decisions based on our experience of running businesses. And we're saying, oh, that that, that guy's going to be fine. Or, you know, we're, we're making sure someone's not um, trying to uh, snow us. You know, it's, there's lots of things that we, we need to do. So um, it's no one could do this business if they didn't, um, one, have uh, uh, their own capital because we don't we're not getting like a bank gets capital from the government, you know, and gets capital from, uh, you know, deposits. So that's, you know, one of the reasons why they can loan money. So, you know, so, uh, sometimes it can be very expensive, believe it or not, uh, depends on how much you're going to use it. Um, whereas we're using our own money, we're putting our own money out there. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot different. And the other thing is that we love, you know, listen, I really believe in what I do. I really do believe that everyone should, you know, I'm not, this is not sales pitch. I believe everybody should have a backup line of credit. I can tell you one time where I got really in trouble because I was running a really great business and I went back to my bank to ask for an increase in my line of credit. And they said, yeah, we'll let you know in two months. And I had payroll due on Friday. You know, this is not, that's not an unusual story. You know? That's not so, an unusual story because when, when you need at least... Uh, they're ready to hand you out the money from the bank. But when you need it most, it makes a very difficult process. So I actually, uh, as you were uh, starting the podcast talking about that, I, I actually had my own line of credit as well. And in January in Atlanta, it's while it doesn't, we don't have the snow that people have up north, uh, we still get slow. And I can either make a decision and lay people off and then bring them back on, uh, or I can weather the storm as it were, and keep the staff. So I keep the staff, but we run pretty lean and mean. And yeah, I've had to dip into that line of credit to make payroll. Uh, yeah. Pay, pay myself back in a couple months after that, but it's uh, it, it's a nice peace of mind because you, I think you always run a stronger business 
when you don't have the pressure of the finances weighing on your decisions. So I can make decisions to advertise for the rest of the year, put the down payment uh, with an advertiser today in a print media, but I can do that because I have the backup of having a strong financial picture and the LOC sit behind it. Yeah. Have you ever, I have to ask this question. Uh, I'm sure you have. Um, is there anything that the, those employees can do um, that isn't home remodeling during that downtime period that, you know? So my, my front staff, people out there in the field, uh, the way they work is uh, if it's raining or it's too cold outside, they actually aren't getting paid. Uh, these guys get paid as they work. It's the office staff that I carry. Oh. Uh, so it would be laying That's off rough. one of my four call center agents uh, or telling my estimators, uh, hey, have a seat for a while. You're not doing any estimates uh, or uh, asking my operations manager to take a pay cut. It it, it sounds great in theory. Uh, there's no way in practice yeah, I couldn't I, build yeah. that loyalty that I need in my company. Yeah, I was just thinking, could you share that employee with somebody for four months? I, it just seems to me it'd be so the person would be so uh, confused. (laughs) Confused is a good thing. And you also lose, I think you'll lose a lot of loyalty. I mean, you know, they say you have culture in your company, whether you know it or not, or whether you are embracing it or not. And I think with the culture that I'm building here uh, is one of loyalty and people who will, in essence, ride or die with me. Uh, And if I loaned them out or told them to take a cut, I don't think yeah. I'd have that same that same. Yeah. Let's go get it when the springtime hits. Yeah, unless out. unless you there is an incentive there. You say, listen, you know it's slow for four months. They know it. It's slow for four months. I'm going to do this. We're gonna. I'm gonna have. You're gonna work for this other project, this other company for four months. I'm gonna pay you five dollars extra an hour. I don't know whatever it is. And during those four months, and then when it when it picks up again, you'll come back and you know, uh, you know, you know, it's something like that. I. You know, you you uh, you hit the nail. You, you were talking talking about um, when I was building my third company. You, you said something about culture. It was really interesting. You said, regardless if you know it or not, your company has a culture, right? I really believe that culture is the key ingredient. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, Chris. I bet you any money, you have a great culture at your company. I can kind of tell. I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. As owners, we always have blind spots, but I'm always uh, evaluating. I have my own, I'm not in an EO group, but a similar size group where I bring in issues and uh, people hold me accountable. But yes, I think our culture is one of professionalism above all else in our space. And people are out there making decisions on my behalf that I feel that I would say, by and large, I agree with all those decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, so what happened was the third, I really believe in culture. I always have, um, and, and I, when I started my third company, I said, on my business plan, I put down the culture that I wanted before the company even started. So I wanted, uh, so it was, the, it was the healthcare staffing business that I did this with. And I said, I, wanna, I want a culture where the people are, that, I are, that are working at the company are passionate about what they do for a living. And, and I thought that that would transform into customer service, into people staying for long periods of time in our hiring practices. And you know what? Healthcare Seeker was a great company that I loved the people I worked with. And I think it was because I had identified the culture. And it, by the way, that culture is me. Okay, because I'm passionate about what I do for a living, and um, and 
And so, of course, I was hiring like-minded people who liked my style too. And so, you know, the thing that I would say to our listeners out there is, you know, if you have a company already, I either identify the culture that's there now and make sure you know it or, you know, say this is the culture I want going forward and make the changes appropriately if you need to, right? What, you know, would you agree kind of that, Chris? I definitely agree with that. Yeah. It is hard for, especially, uh, you just put that charge out to your listeners uh, and go out there and look at your culture and truly assess yeah. it. How do you do that? Well, uh, maybe you need some help. Maybe this is time for a business coach to help you. But identifying, is it a culture of inclusion? Is it a culture of competitiveness? Is it a culture of teamwork? Or is it a culture of, hey, there's a big issue, but I don't want to tell the boss because all he's going to do is yell and rant and rave and he's not going to help me solve my problem. Um, are they? A, it, it's hard to assess it when you're in the middle of it. Uh, and that's why I've used this group uh, that's helped me over the years uh, to really identify where I think the culture is strong and where it probably needs some work. Yeah, I think one of the things that I, I think is a good idea too, go to your employees, um, ask them to anonymously uh, write down or type out adjectives to describe your company. And, um, and then have them give them to you. And boy, that's going to be a shocker, right? Because you're definitely going to get some stuff that you don't like on there. So you better have a thick skin. And everybody who owns a business, listen, you get thrown around a lot. So, you know, it's you're not going to be thrilled. But you might see some stuff in there that's commonalities that, that really, and that you can build on. And then other things that you're like, oh, I really need to improve. You know, this is terrible. We really need to improve. And I think your employees will tell you, if you're not sure what your culture is, they'll tell you either what it is, what it isn't, what it could be, and what needs to be fixed. Um, you know, so I, you know, I, one of the things that I used to do a lot, once I had identified what our culture was going to be, I made sure everybody in the office knew it. This is our culture. If you know, listen, if you can't fit, if you not that I used to say that, if you don't think that this is what our company is about and you can't, yeah, I think I said that you can't fit that culture, then maybe this isn't the best place to work or you need to help us do a better job to meet this cultural, you know, identity. So, I, you, you, you hit on two things I think is key is it's hard for us to ask our employees to give that feedback because we'd have to be ready to accept that feedback. And the second thing is that culture has really helped me with my business of bringing other technicians in and handymen in because I don't use a mission statement. I developed a mission plaque that is very simple words on a plaque that's in our training room. And that's where I do every interview. And that's where we bring our people in for training every other Wednesday. And when you hit on that, you'll see the three common tenets in that mission plaque is everybody here is set up for success. I expect you to be the face of our company with our customers. And as long as you complete your task with quality, all things will be handled. Oh, and, I like it. And so with that, you you lay this out to somebody who may be a, you know, a carpenter or an electrician or a plumber. And you say, hey, look, are you are you ready to show up for work? Because showing up is part of success. And, and when you show up, are you going to view yourself as an artist and do all that? And we get the opt-outs 
quicker than we used to because yeah. we used to bring the guys in and they'd muddle along for a couple, three or four months. We'd probably put up with lackluster quality or lackluster customer service. Now those guys opt out before we can identify it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too. I, I knew about this before. Um, the, so the two companies, Financing Solutions is one that I have. Uh, uh, I actually have four companies right now, but uh, the, you know, two of them are really main ones. Financing Solutions, which everyone knows about because this is the podcast, but I also have another one I never mentioned called Elite Funeral Funding down in, uh, and uh, it's, that's a very good company, but I have, we have good people running it for us. Um, my business partner, who's an incredibly smart guy, I'm so lucky that we, we, um, we started our businesses together, but he, he, I think he would be, he's not really a big guy into this idea of create company culture, Right. And, um, but I am. And so, you know, so we don't talk a lot about, like, I think I, you know, uh, but I, I have, I do identify it for us and I'd run it by him and say, this is what I think our company culture is. And I'll tell you why I do it. I do it because uh, 90% of my job is marketing. I'm the marketing director. So I'm the one who's making sure that we're doing the right type of advertising to get clients to come in. In order to do that, I need to know our culture of our company because I need to convey that in the message that we're sending. The culture of your company needs to match the message, the marketing message that you're sending because it needs to be authentic. So for financing solutions, our culture is about really, really understanding small businesses. That's our culture. So the people that we have hired usually are really, really good or really become good at understanding the trial and tribulations it involves in running a small business. And the other business, Elite Funeral Funding, um, it's that business is all about customer service. And the people we have running, that's, that's all they care about is just going above and beyond doing a great job for their clients. And they're really good at it. Right. And luckily the clients come to them. <laughs> we don't have to do a lot of marketing. So clients just come to them. And uh, so, yeah, so I, it's just interesting. Like, I just want everybody to know out there, it's important. It's important to know the culture of your company because you can kind of play off that in so many different areas. Yeah. that I th think you hit on a couple things there that uh, I try to do part of it as well. And that is culture isn't all about money. It is about uh, what you're doing with people. So if you reward the right behavior patterns and the right behaviors of your culture in ways, not always with money, everybody thinks it's all about that, but I found it. But just by you know, getting up there and saying, hey, congratulations, you're the number one point getter in this three month uh, contest we had, you get to pick out a present first at the end of our year holiday party that we had. And he got to pick the tool out first in front of all 25 people. And you should have seen him beaming with pride. Getting to, he, he was taking pictures. I had to take a picture for him and me and his wife. And and that rewarding that behavior, what what was the behavior? What was the contest he won? It was who could get the most reviews, put the most yard signs, take pictures of the yard signs, and who could get uh, the most five-star reviews and happy customers, which is exactly what I want as an owner. And look at him beaming with pride. And I gave him a $100 tool. You know, if you... If you make someone's job more than just about the money that they are, because it is, your their job is more. It for some people, it's the biggest thing in their lives. 
He, you know, and if you make it, I think we all own it to our employees just to make their lives really, really a good one. Everybody wants a really good job. Everyone wants a boss who treats treats them really well. Everybody wants a job that they know what, you know, that's they're not getting blindsided and they're being treated respectfully. And yeah, they're getting paid. And hopefully you treat your employees well that way. I tend to overpay. Um, and I just feel that these people need the money more than, more than I do. You know, it's not that much more. Um, and so, you know, I just think, you know, creating it's, it's your job creating a, a great, great environment. And if you, if you don't have that, um, listen, my second company, Oh my God, I was a terrible boss, terrible. And I had to go to school to learn how to be, I went to Dale Carnegie. I bought the coach on because I felt bad about how I was treating my employees. I forgot that that was the reason why I brought, brought her on board. Um, I was just so driven to make money that, you know, I was young too. I was kind of inexperienced at being a manager. So, um, so Chris, I, I mean, I talked a lot on this podcast. I, uh, I, you know, I knew normally, of course, let my guests talk a lot. Uh, I'll let you have, uh, the last word. All right. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, you, I can tell that you're as passionate as I am around not only business plan, but company culture. And I think that those things do go hand in hand. Uh, but I've enjoyed being on here. And if anybody wants to learn a little bit more about my journey, I uh, wrote a book called From the Zoo to the Wild. It's available on Amazon. It's my leap from corporate America and to build this uh, handyman remodeling business. You can always find me online on LinkedIn, Chris Lalamia. I've actually started another business called the Home Service Institute, where we train other contractors on customer service processes and training specifically designed for in-home service providers, carpenters, electricians, HVAC, plumbers, window cleaners. So you can always go check me out there. But it's it's Chris Lalamia on LinkedIn, best way to get me, uh, thetrustedtoolbox.com been going out there for 14 years and we get uh, we get plenty of business. And what was the name of the book again? It was called From the Zoo to the Wild. From the Zoo Guide to, to Entrepreneurial Wild. Freedom and Wealth. Good for you. Well, it's good stuff. Um, I'd like to thank so very much Chris Lalomia from the Trusted Toolbox for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862 207 4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS as a financing solutions, creditline.com. Um, and just so our listeners know, um, I do tweet almost daily, usually kind of every three days. I've been a little lax with it lately, but I tweet about lessons for business owners um, at S Halasnik, S H A L A S N I K. And, you know, I want to thank all our listeners and, uh, you know, Chris, I didn't, uh, for the first time in four years, this is my fourth year doing the podcast. I worked to like podcast number 80. I, I looked at the reviews. I had never done that before. And we all had, it was all five stars. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, we had 18 five-star reviews. I was like, wow, that's pretty good. You know? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I was happy that and I want to thank our listeners you know, the Entrepreneur MBA podcast has become very, very popular. I think that if you listen to every single one of these guests that I bring on, you will run such a good organization and do it when you're going for a walk or a run or whatever. Uh, these guests 
these, I don't have anybody on here that doesn't have experience. And boy, that's a lot different than someone who read something. So everybody get outside, have a great day, listen to the podcast uh, and, and enjoy it. It's the journey that counts.